The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, as we approach you through your word, I pray you'd speak to us. Very simply, speak to us. Let us see the heart of Christ here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we see in Psalm 23 the the heart of Jesus for his people in a really profound, profound way. We see a, a man, namely David, King David, who had total confidence in the Lord. Not in some kind of abstract way, but in a very, very real, experiential way, he had total confidence in the Lord. And his total confidence in the Lord was because of the Lord's total commitment to him. The foundation of David's confidence was that God, his Lord and his shepherd, is a God who is completely trustworthy. He, is, he, he, he cannot lie. He does not lie. He doesn't, he doesn't make promises he's unable to fulfill. And when he decides to do something, no one can stand in his way. This is the Lord that David had total confidence in, or we see his total confidence in this passage. This is a great need, I think, for our day because, because many, many churchgoers, even faithful churchgoers, live life frazzled, live life as though this weren't true, as though God were not as David says he is, as though he were not this faithful shepherd we see in Psalm 23, because there's basically two ways to live life. There's, you can live life being cared for and protected and led and guided by and protected by God, the Lord, or you can do life on your own. So you can live life like Psalm 23, like David, living under the care of, of the good shepherd, or you can live what I would describe as the anti-Psalm 23. The opposite of Psalm 23. Let me read for you what the anti-Psalm 23 goes like. I'm all on my own. Nobody looks out for me. And I experience desperate need continually. I'm always restless, going from one thing to another, seeking satisfaction, but finding none. I have no peace whatsoever, and I feel like I'm walking through a spiritual desert. My soul is twisted, out of sorts, and broken. I stumble along in the dark, but still I insist. I want what I want, when I want it, for me. 
When life gets hard, I freak out. I get anxious. I I wonder, why me? Where's God? I find no lasting comfort, and I spend so much time anxiously waiting for the next bad thing to happen. I go through life defeated, starving, constantly under pressure like I've got a massive boulder on my chest. I'm so unlucky. I must be cursed. Let's face it. I'm a glass half empty sort of guy. I sure hope I can catch a break one of these days because I don't know how much longer I can live like this. That's anti-Psalm 23. You know, and confessions here, okay? That sounds hauntingly familiar. Not every statement, and certainly not all the time, but those things go through my mind. Those things I struggle with from time to time, and perhaps you do as well. So this morning, we want to run to Jesus. We want to run to Christ. Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd who laid his life down for his sheep in order to give them an abundant life. In order to give them a life that is abundant. And what we see in Psalm 23 is an abundant life. And so we're going to do something just a little different today. I'm just going to walk through this psalm. I'm going to just take phrase by phrase. I'm not going to skip over any of it. Phrase by phrase. And I want, my prayer is, and I want, I'm asking even right now that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see all that Jesus is for us. Because this alone will give us confidence, courage to live for his glory. Whether you're 18 and going off to college or you're 62 and you're thinking about retiring or anywhere in between or anywhere on either side, this alone is what gives you confidence to live a life of courage for Christ and his glory. Martin Lloyd-Jones once described revival as the experience of overwhelming assurance of salvation. Just being overwhelmed with this massive assurance of all that Christ has accomplished for us and then living in light of that. He described that at least as he said that's one way of describing revival. So Psalm 23, let me read it again. All right, I read anti-Psalm 23. Let's read Psalm 23 again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow or pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's just jump right in. Did you notice this psalm doesn't tell you to do anything? 
It doesn't give you a command. It doesn't say, believe this or sing about this or follow the shepherd. Of course, all those things are true in ways that we should respond to this. But the psalm itself doesn't give a single command. It doesn't tell us to do anything. It's about the Lord. It's about who he is. It's about what he does. This psalm is custom made to help us lift our eyes from ourselves, from doing the navel gazing thing and looking in and at ourselves, right? It's custom made from, to, to lift our eyes off ourselves instead of looking in the mirror and either being infatuated with what we see, which is not good, or demoralized with what we see, which also is not good. But to see the Lord, And stand in awe of him and rejoice in him. That's the point this morning is to see Christ here. You and I need to see him. Of course, not with physical eyes. I'm not saying that Jesus is going to come and appear before us by no means. But with the eyes of faith, Paul described them as. The eyes of our hearts. The eyes of our hearts being enlightened to see Christ. The other thing is we read through this, you, you just, you can't help but notice if you read from beginning to end and don't skip over any of it, that Psalm 23 does not describe an unruffled, detached experience from the rough and tumble issues of life. David is not just a guy with a go with the flow kind of personality. He's just kind of an easygoing guy and no, no. This, this psalm is not only about green pastures and calm waters. It's also about a valley of deep darkness called the valley of the shadow of death. It's also about savage animals that want to eat sheep like wolves and bears and lions and men. Well, and it's also about enemies Enemies of God and by virtue of that, enemies of his people. So Psalm 23 is not, you know, at least I could imagine Psalm 23. uh, The picture that comes into our mind is of this beautiful mountain meadow with this quiet stream in the background and these, this herd of sheep just kind of moseying around and grazing and the sun shining down and that's it. And it's not just about that, right? It's, it's about certainly when things are going really, really well, we rejoice in the God who is the Lord of Psalm 23, but it's also for when things are going really, really badly. And it feels like life is closing in on us. So let's jump into verse 1. Verse 1, David describes the Lord as an all-sufficient shepherd. An all-sufficient shepherd. It sets the tone by describing who the shepherd is and how his ministry comes fully loaded. The Lord is my shepherd, he says. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now remember, David is the one speaking this. David was a pretty capable guy, right? He was a capable shepherd as a young boy. 
fought off wild animals who wanted to snatch away his sheep. He was capable as a warrior, cut the head off a giant. He was capable as a songwriter and poet. He was capable as a king, not perfect, but capable as a king. And yet David is the one here saying, I need a shepherd. I need a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Who's the, who's the shepherd? It's the Lord. You might notice in, in your Bibles that Lord is all capitalized. And the translators did that to help clue us in that it's referring to the proper name of God or Yahweh. That he is the God who revealed himself to Moses through the burning bush as Yahweh or as I am. I am that I am. This is the Lord who is our shepherd. The God who is self-sufficient, self-attesting, self-existent. He needs nothing from anyone. He's full and overflowing in himself. And David says, that is who my shepherd is. The Lord is my shepherd. I love how David says, doesn't say the Lord is the shepherd of his people generally, which is true. And the Bible does say that. And David doesn't say, I hope the Lord is my shepherd. David says, Charles Spurgeon said, there's a, there's a note of nobility in what David says. The Lord is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. He is shepherding my life and my soul. Think about what condescension this is of the Lord of glory who upholds the universe. Right? We, yesterday we, in men's study, we were talking about Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, how he created everything. And even now, how he holds the universe together in himself. And yet this God comes to us as a shepherd. As a shepherd. It's not the only way the Bible describes him, certainly. But it's, it's a very humble way the Bible describes him. I mean, a shepherd is... They were not men of, of nobility or anything like that. They, were, they had menial tasks, right? Finding food for the sheep and making sure the sheep were protected and, and so forth. And yet, this describes the Lord as our shepherd. And David says, because this is who my shepherd is, it's the Lord. I shall not want. I shall not want. I wonder in a fast-paced, busy life, um, relentlessly fast-paced and busy, where commercials are designed to stir up wants, right? Radio commercials, internet commercials, television commercials, and so forth. Does this seem like it's even possible for us to say, The Lord is my shepherd. I don't lack anything. I shall not want. I'm I'm in need of nothing. Of nothing. It's amazing. Well, I think you're here today because you hope this is true. That this this is possible. That this is possible. Jesus is our sufficient Savior.
Colossians chapter 2 says that in Christ, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then it says this amazing thing. And you, Christians, have been filled in him. I think the New American Standard says, you have received fullness in Christ. John Piper says this, this phrase where David says, I shall not want, means something to the effect of, if you have Jesus as your shepherd, he will give you everything that is good for you just when you need it. Isn't that precious? We don't have to twist God's arm. We don't have to yell and shout and right like the, like the prophets of Baal, cut ourselves and maybe we need to cry a little louder to get his attention. Maybe he's relieving himself. No, no, no. He is a God who is sufficient. He is a shepherd who cares for us and he gives us everything that is good Amen. just when we need it. Doesn't mean we don't ask him for things. Doesn't mean we don't, we don't come with the things that we need but he gives us everything we need. Well, the rest of the psalm virtually impacts verse 1 and the spiritual riches that we have in Christ. Let's, let's go to verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Green pastures were important for a shepherd to find for his flock for two reasons, for feasting and for resting. For feasting for nourishing food and for resting. It says that Jesus is the good shepherd who leads us to green pastures, not burnt out pastures, but green pastures. So he leads us to a place of nourishment. He feeds us. He nourishes us. I love the, how Paul, talking about a husband and a wife, and how a husband ought to cherish and nourish his wife says, just as Christ does the church, just as Christ nourishes and cherishes his people, the church, but green pastures are also good for resting, for finding rest, a green pasture, good, good for food, but also is an open pasture where, where at least there was, there was some openness to see wild animals coming who might try to pick off the sheep. Now, I was just thinking last night, what, what did Jesus say to those who were spiritually hungry? In John chapter 6, he said this, Come to me. I'm the bread of life. He who eats of me or he, he who eats of what I give him will never hunger or thirst again. What does he say to those who are spiritually exhausted and worn out? Come to me. Come to me. Matthew eleven twenty nine and 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I love how it says in verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Our, our shepherd knows when we need to lie down. He, he, knows, he knows what we need. He knows what we need. He makes me lie down. I heard one person describe it this way, that this is a picture of a shepherd who finds an unruly sheep trying to run away, and he cracks the sheep on the leg with his rod, puts it over his shoulder, 
tenderly brings it back to the flock and lays it down to rest. Verse 2 goes on to say, He leads me beside still waters, or literally waters of quietness. Not a large river with a strong current, but still waters so the sheep can go over and, and get a drink. And this, this shows us or signifies, I think, refreshment and peace. Our Lord, who is our shepherd, is the Prince of Shalom. He's the Prince of Peace. Let me ask you, I, this is just, um, does anyone here ever feel like you lack peace? Often? Just be honest. Don't, you don't have to shake your head. You don't have to raise your hand. Don't, don't answer to me. But just do some self-analysis here. Just, just be self-reflecting. Do you feel like, is there, is there a lack? Generally, a lack of peace in your life. A sense of unrest. St. Augustine, 1,600 years ago, said, our hearts are restless, lacking peace, until we find rest in God, until we find rest in him. Jesus is the good shepherd who leads us beside still waters, waters of quietness. We long for peace. In one sense, we relentlessly pursue it with vacations and hobbies and medicine and lots of different things. We pursue peace in so many ways. And our good shepherd leads us to it. Waters of quietness. Of course, I think this is first and foremost talking about the peace that we get with God through Jesus Christ. Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, We have peace with God. This is the peace Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not the peace the world gives you. There's a kind of peace that you can get from the world. It's short-lived, and then you're back in the lion's den. But he gives us a lasting peace. He gives us a peace by reconciling us to the God we were made for so that we can find rest in him. Verse 3 says, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. The word restore means to turn back or to to turn again. He turns us back when we fall into sin. He turns us back when we're wandering. He turns us back when we're wandering off. That's what a shepherd does, right? He doesn't let his sheep wander off. They're his. He cares for them. He loves them. So he goes after them and turns them back. He, he restores our soul. I'm so thankful that he restores our soul. That when I get off, it's not just up to me to turn around. Are you with me? You know what I'm saying? That it's not just up to me to figure things out. Josh, you're acting like an idiot. Turn around. Sometimes our hearts are so out of sorts. And we don't see that we've stumbled into darkness. And we need a shepherd who restores us. And he does. David prayed in Psalm 51. This is the psalm, <clears throat> this is the psalm where David is brought to the place of repentance after he had, an, he had had an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. And 
to keep things quiet. He had Bathsheba's husband killed and all of that and was going along through life until he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. And Psalm 51 is, is David's psalm of confession and repentance. And in verse 12, he says this. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. He restores my soul. Verse three goes on to say, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I love how it says he leads. He doesn't drive us at the end of a whip. He leads, right? The law drives us with the whip of threats and condemnation and guilt and you better or else. Jesus, our gracious shepherd leads So whatever path he calls us to walk on, which we know Jesus said it's the narrow road, right? Whatever path he calls us to walk on, Christ is before us, leading us. He hasn't left us alone. He's leading the way. And he leads us in paths of righteousness, not in crooked paths. He leads us on right paths. We never have to wonder if Jesus is going to lead us astray even if he's leading us to go through something, even if he's leading us through something very difficult, we never have to worry, is he, does he know what he's doing? Does he see the end? Does he know how things are going to turn out? He does. He's the Lord. The Lord is our shepherd. He leads us in paths of righteousness. And this is the path of Sanctification of growth. And some Christians, I think, look past the blessing of sanctification or the road of righteousness or the road of sanctification. But it's a blessing to become more and more like Christ, isn't it? It's a blessing to walk in paths of righteousness where we are living out the good news of Christ. We've been given the gift of righteousness and we are to live progressively righteous lives in Christ with his help. And I don't know why we, 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 we think so little about this. I shouldn't say we do, but maybe I do. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. This, is, this takes up the bulk of the Christian life on planet Earth. We get saved, right? You get baptized. We're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And then we begin this long path of sanctification, of walking in paths of righteousness, following our leader, Jesus Christ. Greater holiness leads to greater and deeper happiness and hope. It really does. We don't earn it. It's a gift. But, deep, but greater holiness leads to deeper happiness and hope. I love Proverbs 4.18. It says, the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter until the full day. The path of the righteous. And the shepherd leads us in these paths. And it says this. This is kind of a a, a strange way to end this phrase. He does this for his namesake. He doesn't do it first and foremost for us, but he does it for his glory. For his name's sake, a holy and happy people in Christ, they're a great honor to Jesus, right? 
And conversely, a professing Christian who is worldly brings shame to the name of Christ. So he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake, for his glory. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Even though, not if, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and not since the Lord is my shepherd, he will keep me from going through it, but even though I go through it. John Bunyan in his uh, Pilgrim's Progress, you know, John, the, the main character is a guy named Christian who is on, his, on the road to the celestial city, which is heaven. And it's called Pilgrim's Progress because he's a pilgrim on a journey to that city. And he has to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And John Bunyan says, the only road to the celestial city, to get to the celestial city, Christian had to go through the only road which took him through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, when David says this, we don't know for sure if he was talking about literally uh, facing death, physical death. Could be. I mean, David certainly faced that, right? I mean, he might have even been talking about his own experience with King Saul on his tail, wanting to kill him. So it could mean that. It also could mean just severe anguish and affliction. It's used that way in other places in the Psalms. The NIV actually translates it the valley of deep darkness. Of deep darkness, despair, depression, deep discouragement. And we shouldn't be surprised that we experience hardship. James 1 verse 2 says, count it all joy when you go through, when you go through trials of various kinds. 1 Peter 4.12 says, why do you think it's strange when you go through affliction? Or why, why are you saying, hey, what's going on? Because it happens. We walk through it. But David says, even though I go through this, I will, I love that, not might, I will fear no evil. And why? Because the shepherd's with him. (laughs) Because the shepherd's with him. Not because he whisks him out of it, but because the shepherd is with him. It's not surprising. This is this idea of don't be afraid because I'm with you is said over and over and over in the Bible, over and over in the Bible. Don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. And almost every time, the reason given is because I am with you. I'm with you. Isn't that amazing? And the reason why we're told not to fear so many times is because there's a lot of scary things in life. There are a lot of things that, that are threats to us in life. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Isaiah 41.10, fear not for I'm with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
This is not the promise of a nice but weak shepherd. That he just, he can't really do anything, but he'll be there with us. This is the promise of a mighty, sovereign, powerful, loving, wise, gracious shepherd. He's with us. He's with you. No matter what you're facing right now, he's with you. I love the final stanza of the, of the hymn, How Firm a Foundation. It says this, The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. You believe that? Then you have no... When you go through the valley, maybe you're there now. He's with you. You don't, need to, you don't need to fear. And of course, those were the words of Christ. He's the one who said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Right after he gave his disciples an impossible task that was going to cost all of them their lives, except for one. I mean, all of them their lives, gruesomely and violently, except for one. So I'm going to be with you all the way to the end, every step of the way. You'll never be a moment without me. I'll never forsake you. I got to hurry here. All right, second part of verse four says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Rod and staff were very important tools for a shepherd. A rod to fight off wild animals. Wolves. Lions. A bear and a staff for directing the flock. And usually the staff would have a crook on the end, right? There'd be a, the end would be curved and it would just perfectly fit around the neck of a sheep in case a sheep was, you know, about ready to fall into a ravine or was caught in a thicket or something. And the, the shepherd could put it around the sheep's neck and pull it back in line with the others. Your rod and your staff, David said, they comfort me. They bring such comfort that, again, there are lots of dangers in life and we have almost zero control over any of them. I'm so glad I don't have to watch my back like a crazy person trying to make sure everything works out and I'm not, you know, stepping over the cliff somewhere. Of course, we use wisdom and so forth but we have a shepherd who has a rod to fight off wild beasts and he has a staff to direct us. And these ought to give us great comfort. Verse five, the first part, it says, you you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy, my enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Amazing. It's like the metaphor almost shifts from a shepherd to a host of a feast, right? The shepherd also prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Think of Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, which says that, that Christ triumphed over all the principalities and powers of darkness by his cross. And he has given us this victory and he gives us a victory dinner in the presence of of enemies. I can think, I mean, of course we have one enemy 
very clearly in the scriptures, and that is the devil. I was thinking about what, what does the devil do night and day before God's throne? He accuses God's people. Do you ever hear him? Do you ever hear the accusations? And there's a lot of truth in them sometimes, right? You blew it. Yeah, I did blow it, man. Our shepherd prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemy. There is therefore now no condemnation. Who's going to bring an accusation against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's going to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us even at this very moment. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint my head with oil. The anointing oil signified a blessing of and bless, excuse me, signified blessing and empowerment for service. This, this was a ceremony usually reserved for three important offices in Israel. It was reserved for the king and the prophet and the priest. And here we see one, namely our, our shepherd Jesus, who is the true prophet, priest, and king, giving us his anointing. He anoints our heads with his oil, namely the Holy Spirit for blessing, right? For blessing. Whoever believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water and for empowerment. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses for blessing and empowerment. Verse 5 goes on to say, my cup overflows. Some people are glass half empties type of people. Others glass half full. David was a glass overflowing kind of guy. He was just a glass overflowing, living in the light of all that his shepherd was for him. Didn't mean he didn't have troubles, right? He did. Every morning I, I, I love waking up and pouring a full cup of really dark, strong, black coffee. I love it. Amen? Who said amen? Yeah. All right. There's a few others in here, I think. What if every morning we filled our cup with gospel blessings and gospel promises? Not I hopes, not things that we hope for, but things that are done because of what Christ has accomplished. Think of Ephesians 1. All the spiritual blessings, it says every single one of them has been given to us in Christ and through Christ. All things pertaining to life and godliness has been granted to us through Christ and in Christ. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I love the word surely, emphatic. It's gonna happen. It's happening. Surely, goodness and mercy. Not maybe, not I really think so. Surely, without a doubt, goodness and mercy. I wonder as we were singing that song this morning, your goodness is running after me. I wonder if anyone had a problem with that. Like, huh? Or if maybe some were just like, I don't know, what does that mean? 
it means this. It comes from Psalm 23. Because literally it means goodness and mercy shall pursue us and chase us down all the rest of our days. God's goodness is his lavish generosity. His mercy, it's the Hebrew word hesed. It means his his, his loyal, steadfast, faithful love. He will not let us go. And if he did, if you're like me at all, I would be lost. He will not let us go. I've heard it put this way that goodness and mercy in Psalm 23, 6, they are the hounds of heaven. Hounding us, breathing down our necks, not to devour us, but to bless us. Even to old age, even to poor health, even to hospice care, even to your dying breath, goodness and mercy is pursuing you. And verse 6, the last phrase, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where is the shepherd leading us? When does this abundant life come to its intended completion? When is it going to be perfect? Because it certainly isn't now. When the shepherd brings us home forever. I mean, there's a picture of the shepherd leading and guiding to find food and water and fighting off animals and, and, and so forth. And then what does he do? He brings them to his home. He brings them, he brings the sheep to his home. He leads us to the father's home, our final eternal destination. Jesus said, my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus, he's with us now, but he'll be fully with us in the flesh, the God-man forever. He'll bring us to himself. Revelation seven seventeen. For behold, in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's where he's taking us. So how are you approaching life? I'm almost done, okay? On your own? Or following the shepherd? Is anyone caring for you besides yourself and maybe your spouse? Maybe a parent? Now, of course, remember this psalm doesn't tell us to do anything, but, but we, are, we must respond to it. We must live, do something in light of it. And I just want to suggest, I'm just going to give you three words, okay? Rest, run, might sound like dichotomy, but rest, run, and reach. Rest in your all-sufficient Savior. Run courageously after him, following him, and reach to help others know your shepherd. Let's pray.